you have a Bible, um, please turn with me to the book of Revelation. Uh, and we will be looking uh, in verse four, chapter 14, excuse me, of the book of Revelation. We are in, uh, we will be in verses 6 and 7 tonight, but I'm going to read um, <clears throat> the first seven verses, um, even though we will only be in verses 6 and 7. Uh, I do want to just make sure we have, you know, just the context for our sakes, uh, Revelation chapter 14, and so we'll, like I said, we'll read the first seven, all seven verses um, this uh, this evening, <clears throat> and then, uh, as I said, we'll just focus on on verse 6 and verse 7, um, and hopefully you'll see why um, in just a moment. But Revelation chapter 14, um, beginning in verse 1, and so if you're physically able to do so, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to ask that you, I uh, invite you to stand with me one more time as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. First, uh, in, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord given to us tonight. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. And with him, a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand, which were redeemed from all the earth. And these are they which were not, which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins, these are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they, were, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the water. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. May you now add your blessing upon it. We pray, give us wisdom in it, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be, you can be seated. Um, so tonight, what I want us to look at is, in fact, uh, the success of the gospel. Uh, ultimately, that is what is being addressed here, is the success of the gospel, um, all, you have to remember that Revelation 12, 13, and 14 uh, do go together, and there's a lot going on, as we've already seen over the last few weeks, lots of things going on, um, but tonight is specifically in keeping with the success uh, or the successfulness of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel going forward. Um, you say, well, now, wait a minute, Pastor, how, how can you say that? After all, it says uh, in chapter 14, and verse 6, and I, I saw another angel, right? So, so what, how, how is it that we are now talking about the success of the gospel? Well, the one thing I, I would say to us as we read the book of Revelation um, is that every time that the name angel is mentioned, it isn't always in reference to an angelic being. Uh, the word angel simply means messenger. That's, that's literally what it means. Um, and in this case, I think we see, um, though, it, though there is a, um, though it says, John does say, I saw another angel. In this instance, because of the message that is being preached, I think there's a strong case for the fact that this is not an angelic being, but rather has the meaning and the understanding of, the God, of, of, of just a messenger sent by 
God. Um, and you say, well, why is he flying in the midst of heaven and all of this stuff? Well, I, we'll get to that in just a minute, right? Because um, unless he's Superman, he's just not going flying through the sky. Um, but uh, there is great meaning here um, in, in all of this. And so <clears throat> the success of the gospel, I think, is clear. So let's just dig right into the text and we will see what, uh, uh, why this is, uh, this is in reference to the success of the gospel in, <clears throat> in the latter days, in the latter time. Uh, again, uh, John says, and I saw another angel. And where was this angel? Well, he was flying in the midst of of the heaven or of heaven uh, and so <clears throat> when John says that he sees another angel um, you will need to you simply just take notice that there are at least six different angels mentioned messengers mentioned within this chapter of scripture alone there are six of them uh, and each one of them are doing distinctly different things uh, and, and I would simply say this, a preacher or a pastor is intended, I think, not, not an actual angelic being. Um, as I've already said, uh, the word for angel is, is used just in, in a general sense for the word messenger. And we see that from time to time um, with, as we've read Revelation or some of the prophetic writings in the Old Testament or the New Testament uh, at times, <clears throat> the word angel is used, and what is being referenced here is simply a, a messenger, just a simple messenger from God that's been sent, not necessarily an angelic being. Um, <clears throat> and so the, the preacher here is, is doing something, and this is why, um, why I'm going to argue, why I argue that this is not an angelic being, because notice, notice what is being preached. Listen to what he says here in verses 6 and 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heavens, having the everlasting gospel stop. No angel has ever been committed with the message of the gospel. Never. No angelic being has ever been given the gospel to preach. Never. The gospel of Jesus Christ belongs to the church of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ belongs to the messengers of the gospel, full stop, full period, end of story. No angel has ever been granted the blessing of preaching the gospel. You would say, well, what about the angels that attended Jesus' birth? Absolutely. Did they preach the gospel? No, they told them where to go and find the Prince of Peace. What about the... <clears throat> what about, um, the other angels throughout history. Have they ever preached the gospel in the Old Testament or the New Testament to that? I would say no. No. No angel has ever been given the message of the gospel to preach. No angel has ever been given the message. Uh, and so this cannot be in reference to an angelic being, um, at least in its proper understanding. And you say, well, well, why? Well, because this preacher appears at this time and publishes these good tidings of peace and salvation, proclaims Zion's king as reigning. So we say, well, where do we hear that? Where else do we might we have heard this before? Well, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that this is very similar to a passage that occurs back in the book of Isaiah. You say, well, well now wait a minute, where, where in Isaiah? Well, I would say to you Isaiah 62 and verse 6. Isaiah 62 and verse 6, listen to what it says. And I have set a watchman upon your walls of Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. You that make mention of the Lord, keep not 
silence. And give him no rest, verse 7, till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So you would say to me, well, why in the world is this angel flying? Right? Why, why does John reference him as flying in the heavens? Well, I would simply say to you that it's in reference to the open public and worldwide preaching of the gospel. It is a reference to the fact that his message of the eternal gospel is being published to, as it says here in verse 6, every nation and kindred and tongue and people. That's why. It's not that this man was literally flying in the air, but as Jesus is, or John, excuse me, John is using this as a way of showing us the absolute effect of the gospel. That as a result of this man's, this preacher, this pastor's faithfulness to preach the gospel, this gospel, this eternal gospel, this everlasting gospel that is being preached is going to the entire world. It's going to the ends of the nations. And I would say that this is called another angel because it is in distinction to verse 2 of chapter 14 here where he says, And I heard a voice from heaven, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And this is, a, this is John drawing a distinction between what he has previously seen and what he is now seeing. And why is this such an important issue? Well, it's an important issue, first, because as it says here in the text, the gospel has to go, it must go, to the ends of the world. Right? It must go to the ends of the, of the world. In other words, around the globe. Around the globe. Around the world. It must go around the world. And so it must go in its boldness, in boldness, and must go with great freedom. It must go with great courage, and it must go within the hearing of all mankind. As a matter of fact, because of this, in verse 6, the idea is being presented to us that the gospel is so successful that it is spreading very quickly at this point. That it's spreading very quickly to the ends of the nation, to the ends of the world. And that's why John records for us that this angel who's flying, he says, this preacher, this, this man of God who is preaching the gospel, his, his gospel preaching is going forward and it is, a, it, it is going to the ends of the earth. It is going to the ends of the nations, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, every people group. In other words... It will not stop in with one point or two points of, uh, of, or two nations, but will go to and saturate every single tribe and tongue and people group and nation so that everyone hears the gospel. And I would simply say to you that this angel that may very well simply be a, uh, uh, maybe, maybe simply a representative for the faithful preaching of the gospel that comes through every and to ev through every one who proclaims the gospel, whether it be pastor or whether it be um, preacher, whether it be evangelist, whether it be just simply you and I who make disciples 
as we go through the, throughout our daily lives, I think this, this, this being, this, this, uh, this, this preacher of the good news of the gospel is in fact simply and maybe simply representative of the legions within the armies of Christ and his kingdom that whereby we preach and proclaim and the nations come to Christ. But particularly here, it is in reference to this gospel spreading very quickly with great suddenness and across the nations. There is no place where this gospel is not heard. Jesus himself says that the gospel must go to the nations and then the end will come. And this is the fulfillment of this promise through the proclamation of the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel. Sinners will hear the gospel. Sinners will be saved. People will be transformed by the, by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would simply say to you, well, then why does John also talk about him flying in the, in the midst of heaven? I, w- I would simply submit to you that it's a, also another way of reminding us that this pastor, this preacher, or these legions of those who proclaim the gospel are preaching a gospel that does not originate from the, from the earth or from the world, but actually, re- actually comes from God himself to the earth. It is, the, it is the, the preacher of the gospel who preaches the message of heaven itself. He is the one who preaches the gospel of, of heaven itself, the message of heaven itself that now comes to the earth and fills the earth with the knowledge of the Lord as the word of God promises that there is coming a day when the world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And this is the fulfillment of that very promise. And how do we know this? Well, we know this because it says, it says that, that he is preaching or having uh, the everlasting gospel. Have you ever thought about how many times and how many ways the gospel is named or titled throughout the scripture? Now, I certainly am not going to be able to give you an entire list tonight, but I can give you some other titles, <coughs> excuse me, for this, um, for this everlasting gospel. So, for instance, the gospel is also not only titled the everlasting gospel, but it's also called the gospel of the grace of God in scripture. It's called the gospel of, of, uh, of free justification by the righteousness of Christ. It's titled the gospel of peace and pardon by his blood. And it's titled the gospel of complete salvation. Now, now surely it, it may not use those exact words, but that, that is the meaning. Those are the titles behind what, what is said of the gospel as you look throughout Scripture the, the, the promise of the grace of God, the, the mercy of God come to mankind, the complete salvation of God come to sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the gospel of peace and pardon by the blood of Jesus Christ. These are all the, the, the beautiful titles that we can experience and know not only in, 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 in our heads, but also in our hearts, not only through knowledge, but through experience. We can know these things. We experience these truths. The gospel, we experience God's grace and we experience the the gospel of grace when it comes to us. We experience the gospel of free justification by the righteousness and the pardon of Christ. We experience the gospel as the gospel and the good news of peace and pardon by the very precious blood of Jesus Christ. We experience the good news of God's grace through the complete salvation of sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And here the gospel is called the eternal everlasting gospel for a couple of different reasons. Let me give you several of them. 
First, it is called the gospel, the everlasting gospel, the eternal gospel, because the everlasting gospel um, is, uh, is the substance. Um, the substance of it has been settled in heaven from all eternity. The eternal gospel was settled in eternity before the, even before God created human beings, humankind, before he created the world, before he created anything. God, in the Godhead, in the council of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, in eternity past, in, in the very mind of God, had settled the promise of the eternal gospel. The Godhead had, 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 settled, had settled from all eternity on the gospel. It's called the everlasting gospel, though, also because it was ordained before the world began. Because the gospel originates from the very mind and heart of God, it, is called the, it was ordained before the world began. It is called the everlasting gospel because in it, um, all of the grace of God was hidden in Christ from the very beginning. In other words, the Old Testament being the, being the, uh, the gospel veiled, the New Testament being the gospel unveiled. But the gospel was clearly, as we've seen in Sunday school, as Andrew's been going through the temple uh, and, and showing us the images of Christ in the, temp, in the tabernacle, excuse me, um, we see how even the tabernacle goes and preaches the gospel to us. Uh, we see the imagery of the gospel that is held there uh, and, and was, was veiled even in, the, even in the trappings and the symbolisms of the tabernacle that God had given uh, to, to his people Israel. But we see that this is an everlasting and eternal gospel because it was revealed from long angel ages ago. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me simply say it like this. It was revealed immediately following the fall. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right, God says to the serpent, you are going to eat of the dust of the ground. By the way, <clears throat> woman, uh, you are going to produce a man child and uh, he is going to crush the head of the serpent and serpent you are going to strike uh, the heel of the man and the promise was given even from very early on that the man, that there was coming a greater man child who would in fact destroy the serpent but not only was it immediately revealed after the fall but it was re- revealed through the holy prophets it was revealed through the holy prophets. So we, are speak, we speak of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel. We could go on and on about Micah or Nahum or, or on and on, uh, Malachi, Zechariah, all of the prophets prophesying and promising the coming of the gospel. <laughs> it was revealed to Abraham. You say, well, now how in the world was it revealed to Abraham? Well, if you remember in Genesis chapter 12 and then again in Genesis chapter 15, what is it that God says to Abraham? He says that, look at the stars. At one point he says, look at the stars. If you can number them, that's how, that's how many, that's how many uh, descendants you're going to have. And he says, through you all the nations are going to be blessed. And we say, well, that's great. But Paul takes that promise in, uh, in, in his writings and he applies it in Galatians to Christ. And ultimately he says, hey, church, this, Jesus is the fulfillment to Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment to the promise of Abraham that through Christ, through Abraham's greater great-grandson, the nations would be blessed. 
It was revealed through the eternal election of God's, uh, God's purposes to salvation. It was revealed through God's everlasting love upon his people. It was revealed of God's everlasting covenant of redemption that was made between the persons of the Godhead. That is, that from eternity past, um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit not only knew what was to happen and what must happen, but that uh, they, they also, and I'm speaking in human terms here, but they also agreed that the Father would sin, the Son would die, and, that the, and, and raise again, and then the Spirit would make alive and would, would apply the redemption purchased by the Son to the people of God. And this was an everlasting gospel given to us through the covenant of redemption, the covenant of grace. It's also an everlasting and eternal gospel because it's made with certain things. It's made with certain precious things. Uh, you say, well, what kind of things? Well, for instance, um, it is made with the blessings of God. It is made with the promises of God. It is made by the grace of God. It is made with the mercies of God. It is made with the kindness of God. And it is given to all who are in Christ. It is an everlasting gospel made with precious promises and gifts to God's people, to God's children. And it's an everlasting gospel that does some amazing, some amazing things. And what types of things, you might ask? Well, in this gospel, we are given an everlasting gospel that has Christ as our mediator, our high priest. Christ is our king and Christ is our prophet. As the fulfillment of all of these things, Christ stands as the, the fountainhead and the fulfillment of all of the gospel promises. Christ our priest, Christ our king, and Christ our prophet. But there's an everlasting gospel, an eternal gospel, because it also bestows some eternal things. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor, by it, it bestows some eternal things? Well, what I mean is simply this, that in the gospel, when you and I come to faith in Christ, we, we experience that which is already known in the mind of, in, uh, the mind of God. That is, that we are then given the everlasting and eternal righteousness that is Christ's. We are given then everlasting and eternal life that belongs to Christ that he gives to his people. We are given the everlasting peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 5. And we are given everlasting safety. You say, well, well do you just mean in the sense of, of, of uh, the security of the believer? Well, I do, but it also means more than that. It means that in the midst of persecutions and trials and troubles and tribulations, we, by God's grace and for God's glory, are able by His Spirit to withstand the onslaught of the world and the flesh and the devil. It's an everlasting gospel that is known. It is known. It is known by us. It's known in us. It's known by us. It's, there's a knowledge. We have to know something. But if, if, if we only know something and we never experience it, it's done us no good, right? Because I can know the gospel all day long. I can know the truths of God's word all day long for all of my life. 
But unless I have come to experience the work of the Spirit of God through the gospel of Christ moving in my heart, working in my heart, showing me my sin, showing me the grace and the hope that is only available through Christ, unless I experience it, it doesn't matter how much I know, it doesn't matter how much knowledge I've acquired, it doesn't matter how much knowledge I've accrued, that unless it has been experienced by us through the working of the sovereign God that is that has brought us to himself, our gospel or the gospel that we know is meaningless to us. It is something that must not always be just known, but must be experienced. There's an experientialness uh, to, to the gospel. In other words, yes, we should, we should certainly know propositional truth. Yes, absolutely, we should know. And what I mean by that is just, just factual knowledge. We should know these things. Yes, Christ died. Yes, Christ died for sinners. Yes, I'm a sinner. I can know all of that here and never experience it. And that is a scary reality. And so when we're calling men to repent and believe the gospel, the last thing we're doing is simply calling them to acknowledge some things. What we're calling them to do is to bow their hearts before the sovereign God of the universe. To bow their hearts and bow their minds and proclaim Christ. Confess Christ as King. To confess Christ as Lord and Savior, as the great God, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who died for their sins. The one upon whom he has set their love. If in fact they are repentant and believe the gospel. <coughs> it's a beautiful truth. Everlasting eternal gospel that's been given to us. And it's not been given to the demons. It's not been given to the angels. It's been given only to mankind. And then in verse 7, he goes on from there, doesn't he? From, this, from talking about the eternal gospel. And he, he goes on, he begins to explain a little more about this eternal gospel. Because in verse 7, he says, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. Now, what was it prior that, the, that John had written to us in the Spirit's inspiration? He said that although all sorts of great calamity was coming upon the earth earlier in Revelation, he says that men refused to give glory to God. They refused to give glory to God. And now through the eternal gospel, this preacher, this, this proclaimer of the gospel is now saying, fear God and give him glory. We should not shy away from, from giving the gospel with boldness, with faithfulness, and in its fullness. We should never truncate the gospel. We should never say, well, you know, the gospel is about, about Jesus uh, forgiving our sins um, and, and raising again on the third day, and if you just repent and believe the gospel. That is part of the gospel, but that's not the, that's not the whole gospel. You say, well, what do you mean that's not the whole gospel? Well, why do men need to know they're sinners? 
Why must men and women come face to face with the law of God? Why must we preach law and then grace? We preach law to the proud and grace to the humble, right? This is the whole point of the gospel. The gospel brings and comes face to face with, with, the, with the wickedness of man and the pridefulness of mankind. And it says to them, look in the mirror. Here's the law and look in the mirror. And then broken by this knowledge of the truth, we flee to Christ. This is why anytime the gospel is preached, the law of God must also be preached. Anytime we preach Jesus, we must also preach the law. That we are not good, kind, and friendly people. We're not good, kind, and nice people. We're not all going to heaven when we die. We must all know the depths of the depravity of mankind apart from Christ. And then, knowing the depths of our depravity, knowing of God's grace and what he's done on our behalf, once we have come to the end of ourselves, we see fully and freely the faithfulness of God in giving the gospel. And we flee to Christ. And we must deliver the gospel the same way as this messenger here in verse 6. Because it says, he said, or saying, with a loud voice. We must preach with great authority and great power. Why? Because this gospel is not your gospel. It's not my gospel. It's not our gospel. Yes, we, we know Christ if, if we are in Christ. And it is our gospel in that sense. But it's not ours to keep to ourselves. And so we preach Jesus. We minister to the Christ. Or we minister to those who are apart from Christ with great enthusiasm, zeal, and and, and with great um, um, and, and, and great boldness. Now, does that mean that every that 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 your boldness is going to look the same as my boldness? No, no, no. Listen, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out on the street corner and raise up their voice and start preaching Jesus. Right? Not everybody's going to go into Kroger's and going to find uh, you know five or six different people to preach Jesus to. Right? So so we're not all the same. Some of us have that gift. Some of us don't. But the one thing we all have the ability to do is, as we have been given opportunity to take those opportunities that God sets before us and be bold in them to preach Jesus to those whom God gives us opportunities to share the gospel with. Right. We must be bold with the gospel. We must be bold with the gospel. And the message here is, as he's preaching the gospel, is fear God. Do you notice the contrast here, though? Up until this point, what is the, what is the contrast here? Well, up until this point, right, um, people have been fearing who? The dragon, the great red dragon, and the, the antichrist beast, and the, the false prophet, right? These are the beings that are being feared. <laughs> These are the beings being feared. But here, and God has certainly not been feared in the world, among the, among the nations. They've been all of the antichrist beast and, and the false prophet, but here, what does, the, what does the messenger of the gospel say? Not to fear the Antichrist, not to fear the beast, not to fear the followers of the beast. To fear who? To fear God. To fear the Lord of heaven and earth. 
to fear him. How do they fear this God, though? How are they to fear him? They are to fear him. And this angel's message is an implication of fearing him because of the goodness of God. Fearing him because, because he is the spring from which love flows. Fear him because he is the one worthy of our humble adoration. Fear him because he is the one who alone can give us joy and faith. Fear him because he is the one worthy of our worship. He is the one worthy of our whole duty and, and honoring him of our, in our lives. And, and pastors, preachers, evangelists are encouraged to encourage this, this fear of God. This fear of God by preaching the word of God. And as a result of fearing God, what, what does it say about him? Well, it says not only are we to fear him, but we're also to give him glory or give glory to him. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that by first and foremost acknowledging his perfections. That he is the God of all power, goodness, wisdom, and mercy. And we also do that by acknowledging the works of his hand. That is the work of creation and providence of watching over even, even those who don't know Christ in his, in his common grace, just allowing them to experience his kindness and grace in this life by allowing them to know the rain, that it rains upon the just and the unjust, and knowing his simple, gracious, providential kindness and his common grace in knowing this. But they're, give him, they're to give him glory in recognizing him for his greatness, doing him as a, a due, due to him, because of his providence, ultimately because of his, his work, his saving work, through his only begotten Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, acknowledging him as the Christ, that is, as the only source of our salvation. And do you know what? This is something that is to be done by both the righteous and the unrighteous. We say, now wait a minute, how can the righteous and the unrighteous both do this? Well, let me put it this way. The unrighteous will do this whether or not they want to in the day in which in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 in which we're promised that there is coming a day upon which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But now while there is time the unrighteous are commanded through the gospel to repent and believe the gospel. And the righteous are, com are constantly reminded of God's grace to us and his mercy towards us and the fact that we are to be ever mindful of his mercy and grace given to us. But why is it that the angel cries out and shouts with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory? Well, there's a little word here. That word is the word F-O-R, for. Right? For. You say, well, what does that matter? Well, let me say this. Why are we to fear? Why are, why are the nations to fear God? Why are the nations to serve Him? Why are they giving Him glory? Because the hour for, literally, because the hour of His judgment has come. Now, as you're reading Revelation, you'll know that this is not ultimately the, the, uh, the, the, the final judgment that's taking place at this point, although it is pointing us to that point. But it is a reminder that the government of our Lord Jesus Christ has been given to him by the Father and that Jesus even now is spiritually enthroned. 
and was enthroned, as a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. You say, well, now, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Well, listen to what it says in Revelation 12, 5. And she, that it's the woman, brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The enthronement of Christ has already taken place. Spiritually, he now rules and reigns. But this passage points us to a time that is coming, and we will see here in chapter 14, beginning in verse 8 and following, as we get into this, Lord willing, next week, where this judgment is starting to be poured out, and we will see that great whore called Babylon, and that's, I, I, I use that word because that's the word the, the Bible uses here, the great whore Babylon is actually, her judgment is inflicted upon her, and the Antichrist and the beast and his followers taste the wrath of God. They begin tasting God's wrath. And all of this is occurring because of the sounding forth of the seventh trumpet in Revelation eleven fifteen. All of this is occurring at this moment in time. And the hour of his judgment has come. In other words, it is time to stop pretending that you are autonomous. Listen to me, church. Why is it that our nation and our world has gone crazy? I'll say this very clearly, very concisely. Right? Not original with me, but yet I think it's pithy. When we choose when we choose, it is either we will either choose Christ or we will choose chaos. If we choose Christ, we live by the word of God and the law of God. If we choose chaos, it is every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. And the world has chosen to do that which is right in his own eyes. Therefore, and thereby we see chaos before us. There is nothing but chaos before us. Because our nation and our world has chosen chaos. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. So we don't know what is a woman and what is a man. We don't know that marriage is between a man and a woman. We don't know that God and his law has, is final. We have jettisoned all of that and we have said, well, what is man? What is woman? What is anything? And as a result, we taste chaos every single day. We will either, there are two simple choices set before us. Christ or chaos. We will either choose Christ or we will choose chaos. And God has called us to proclaim Christ. And God has called us not to give in to the chaos of the nations. To call our nation to repentance and faith in Christ so that they would not choose chaos, but choose Christ. Why? Because judgment is coming. And judgment will fall. And it will not. It will be a time of great weeping. Yes, it will be a time of rejoicing for us, at least in part, who know Christ, because Christ is returned. But don't you think that we will also share with the weeping? Not like the world. The world will weep because they're not ready. We will weep because they were not ready, though we had the opportunity, they had the opportunity to repent and believe. And we will weep because they will taste God's wrath. But notice what it says here about the sort of as we're closing this out notice what it says here in verse 7 and worship him 
made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Notice the comprehensiveness of this worship. Notice the absolute comprehensiveness of this worship, that he is the God of all creation, right? And this is then divided for us into four different ways. He is the one who's created heaven, he's the one who's created earth, and he's the one that created the sea. To which we would say, well then why in the world would then John say, or the messenger here, John record for us, that this angel is also proclaiming in verse uh, 7, and the fountains of water. What in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, some people would say, well that just means that, that it's just, you know, it includes the, the seas and the, uh, the, the lakes and all of this. I don't think, I, 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 I think that's just, that, no, that's just silly. That's not why this is included here. Well, then why is it included here? It's included here because it's a reminder in the, in the statement, in the phrase, in the fountains of waters, it is a reminder to us that the Lord is the giver and sustainer of life and we owe every creature all creation owes its very existence to him in other words it's a way of God summarizing what has just come before that heaven and earth and everything in them and in the sea and in it owes its existence to Christ therefore glorify him so how do we close this out then how do we how do we bring this to an end right two minutes left how do we bring this to an end Well, I think we bring this to an end sort of like this. We, as the Church of Jesus Christ, cannot be afraid to preach the gospel. And we should not be afraid to call people to fear God. Because honestly, few people fear God. But the God, the God of grace, has given a day and withheld his, is withholding his wrath at this point For this day, which is a day of grace, whereby we cry out to sinners, repent and believe the gospel. This God reaches out to the preaching of the gospel in love to sinners, calling them to repentance and faith, calling you and I who have experienced God's grace to not only only call other sinners to repentance and faith, but to respond in worship and experiential knowledge of Him in responding in worship. You and I cannot be afraid of, 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 of not, not calling people to repentance and faith and to worship the God of all creation, right? What is, after all, the purpose of missions? Jesus tells us in John chapter 4. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, the purpose of missions is to create worshipers of God through the gospel. And we are told not to draw back. Matthew 10, 28, And fear them not which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul, or soul and body in hell. After all, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, I think I mentioned this on Wednesday night, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In the end, the message of the gospel is a message of worship. It's a message of worship. Jesus himself told told the devil, (laughs) told the devil, it is written, you shall love the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Let us seek 
to make Christ known and worship him in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the grace of God, in the empowering work of the Spirit of God as we give testimony to the grace of God in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, help us (coughs) to be faithful in preaching Jesus. God, we thank you that this is an eternal gospel that was given to us from before the ages began that originated in the very, if we can say it in this way, in the very mind and heart of God. God, we thank you that you have given us a gospel, an eternal gospel, the good news of the grace of God. And it has been given, as Paul writes in Titus, it's appeared to all men. It's instructed us to repent and to believe the gospel. Lord, may we do that if we have not done that here tonight. And Lord, if we have, then may we be faithful not to keep it to ourselves. But as we have opportunity, as we have um, um, times in which you open doors for us to preach Jesus, that we would be faithful to make Christ known. May you help us now to live and to minister, and to preach to ourselves and to those around us this everlasting and eternal gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.